murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories. Brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. All right, this is going to be a crazy true law stories. We're going to talk about one NFL player's house of horrors. Uh, we're going to talk about HOA fights, chairs being thrown, and a, this, this attorney, this great attorney, Greg Eisinger, almost got punched in the face. Greg, say hi. Hey, everyone. No black and blue marks on him. Why he has to have the riot police at some of these. One of the, Greg's first condo association meeting at 10 years old. This crazy admission by one building inspector and the problem with emotional support animals. All this on True Law Stories. It's going to be an exciting one. But of course, this is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. One of the best ways to promote your business, your law firm, your doctor's office is through Video Case Stories. Go to VideoCaseStory.com to learn more. All right, let's get started. These are some of the craziest stories that you'll, you'll hear ever, and HOAs are nuts, Commun condo communities are nuts, community associations, and Greg's been doing it for a while. Greg, you know, before we get into the stories of talking about, you know, riot gear and chairs being thrown and uh, all these nuts things, how did you get into community association law? Well, because international law was uh, already had too many attorneys. No, I'm I'm kidding. Um, my father actually has been a condominiumer, a homeowner association attorney for about 30 something years now. So I grew up around the industry. Um, it's always interested me. He used to take me to meetings as a kid and I knew I always wanted to be an attorney. And actually I, I was interested in international law. I, I did a study abroad program in the Czech Republic but when push came to shove after law school was done, I decided, you know what, I'd rather work with my father. And I knew a lot about the industry and I, I ended up here. That's fantastic. So what is involved in, I mean, what are you doing when you're working with community associations, HOAs, et cetera? So I actually teach association law at Nova, Nova Southeastern University. And the first thing I tell my students or ask my students is to list the, the types of areas of law that association law involves. And they start saying things like, well, contract law, because you're reviewing contracts. And then they say, well, there's some governmental law because you deal with how governments interact with the HOAs. And by the end of me going over this with the class and people raising their hands, we have about 20 or 30 different types of areas of law, whether it's um, right, contracts, government, and basically criminal law, which I'm sure we'll get into. Every it's it's basically a mini government. So anything that you can think of, co collection law when you're collecting homeowner association assessments. Um, there's really so many different things I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, whether I'm attending meetings or drafting agreements or negotiating contracts, it's really different almost every single day. And and the amount of issues that come up. You know, I, I may see something tomorrow that I haven't seen in my first, you know, 11 years practicing in this area. I'm sure. So tell me about, that was something we didn't talk about before. You went to these meetings as a child? Yes. Yeah. I, I think I was probably about 10 years old when I first went to my first association meeting. I think, you know, my mom was busy that night. My dad said, you got to come with me to this meeting. And I remember, you know, getting ushered in because there was people 
you know, yelling from the sides when we're walking in. Oh, that's the, the attorney actually it was in South Miami. So they're all screaming abrogado and we're walking in and I'm like, dad, what are you, what is this? And people are yelling left and right. And I thought it was just the most wild adventure I took as a kid. And from that day, I, I you know, there's a lot of yelling and whatnot, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, watching uh, my father work and try and calm the room and, you know, explain the law to people. And there were some people that were not happy with it, what he was saying. Other people were, you know, cheering him on. But I went to a few meetings as a kid. And what point did you say, you know what, I'm going to do this? I mean, it was like, you know, what was the, the, I know you said there was a lot going on international, but what, was there one point you're like, I really need to do HEA law? Throughout growing up, I said, this is something I'm definitely interested in. And when I started learning about, well, let me explore some other options, international law or business law. Um, and I decided, you know what, homeowner associations and condos are, they have a little bit of everything. And I probably right about as I was taking the bar, I said, you know, I think I really want to be a, a association attorney. And after the bar, I passed the bar and I, I came and started working for Eisinger Law. What was the first case that made you rethink being an association attorney? <laughs> um, the hardest part of my job is when we do collections. So when people don't pay their condo or HOA dues, then... Obviously, the association has to take action and you can foreclose. Many people don't know this, but you can foreclose and take someone's home. You know, the association takes the home if someone doesn't pay the assessments. They're essentially taxes. So I've dealt with a few tough cases where I've had to, you know, essentially do collection work and remove people from homes that couldn't afford their homeowner association assessments. And while I feel terrible, you know, I'm, I'm I have a, a soft spot in my heart for people that lose their homes that can't pay for their assessments. If the people don't pay, that means the other people in the association have to make up for that deficit. So, you know, if you can't afford to live somewhere, then you end up losing your home. And it's it's a hard part of my job. So sometimes I I think about that type of stuff and I want to do something else. But you know what? That's all areas of the law have some um, tough aspects to it. Yeah, but yours has a lot of tough aspects. So let's talk a little bit about about the the riot gear <laughs> or the riot police being <laughs> at one of your meetings. So actually, yeah, that was a that was a fun one that happened this year. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Surfside tragedy, but you know, the the building that collapsed and and you know, it was a terrible tragedy. It collapsed because, well, that association and there's a lot of things that have been said about the reasons it's collapsed, but you know the fact is associations are run by a board of directors. They're not professionals. They're unpaid volunteers, and they're the ones that have to manage a building. And some of these buildings are 30, 40 years old, and they're falling apart. And if the board doesn't take the necessary actions to make sure that the concrete is sound and you know the other issues with the community with with the buildings are are intact, then a building could collapse. So what the legislature has done recently, and not even just the legislature, um, some of the local governments down here have started enforcing some of the rules to make sure that buildings are not going to collapse. So they're doing more inspections, they're making sure the roofs are sound and the structures are sound. And basically I went to a meeting where the 
board of directors had to pass a special assessment. This association didn't have any reserves to pay for a new roof and to do some concrete restoration work. So it's a, a lower income community. And they basically were passing a special assessment where everyone in the community was going to have to pay a few thousand dollars to perform necessary work or the building was going to be condemned and everyone was going to have to vacate. So I arrived at the meeting and I explained the situation to about 50 people at the pool area. And it was a predominantly Spanish community. So as I'm explaining it and there's a translator next to me, the translator starts telling me, Greg, they're, they're saying some not nice things. And, you know, I think everything's fine. I'm explaining the situation. If you don't do this work, you're all going to be kicked out of your building. You're not going to get insurance, yada, yada. Well, sure enough, the translator keeps translating back and forth. And then a chair comes flying in. And I have to duck. And I immediately look. And I, I brought an assistant. I said, please call the police. And for the next 10 minutes... It was me and the property manager protecting two elderly board members as people are rushing up, just screaming in our face. We have spit flying. You know, the chair came in. I'm just fending off, you know, the people to try and protect my two elderly clients. And then about 10 minutes after our call to the police, about eight police with the riot gear, you know, the big, uh, uh, the big riot gear work where they come in with the, you know, the, the, the protective gear. And they start pushing the people back because we're just, you know, kind of just pushing people. I'm, I'm getting people grabbing my shirt and the riot gear or riot police push everyone back. They grab us. They get us to the car. They grab the board members. They get them safely home and we get out of there. Oh, wow. That was that the scariest moment in your, your tenure? <laughs> About six months before that. Oh my God, um, the scariest one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I've been to probably about four meetings where there's been physical altercations involving myself where someone came up to me and either, you know, pushed me. Uh, about, about six months prior, very similar situation where I had to explain to a group of 100 why the association needs to raise their assessments. And one guy walked up. And just threw a punch right at me. And I dodged it, it, you know, brushed my shoulder. And then at that point, you know, everyone is getting rowdy, but people in the audience start fighting with each other because there's people that obviously understand the issues and need, you know, understanding that they need to raise funds so they don't lose their property, their units. So they start fighting with each other. But after I get a punch thrown at me, I, I back off and I, I took the president away because it was another elderly lady and I took her and I escorted her out and made sure she got home and I left that meeting as well. That one I thought, you know, luckily the guy after he threw that punch backed off, but that one I thought I was going to, you know, <laughs> have to do something I haven't done since grade school. Oh my God. So are you taking self-defense classes now? No, no. I'm a, I like to think of myself as a pacifist. Um, generally at meetings where I believe there's going to be issues, I, I require the board and the property management company to hire off-duty police officers. I've done that at a, a dozen or so meetings. And there was one meeting where I had off-duty police officers sitting next to us and still someone ran up with a chair and launched it at, at one of the board members 
and he was arrested at the meeting, you know, brought out and they called the police to actually arrest him for uh, assault and battery. So I, I know I should have known better for these last two meetings and moving forward, even if I believe there's any chance, I'm going to require uh, police officers to be at these meetings. Yeah, I don't blame you. In general, what do you think is the cause of all this angst at these HOA meetings and condo meetings and association meetings? The, the first, the most important one, the, the biggest one, especially recently, and as I was, I was getting into, you know, associations now more than ever need to start specially assessing, raising their, their assessments, interest, or not interest, insurance has raised, I think, on average 30% over the last few years for associations. Um, I had one association raise about 400% this year. So it, it's over money. It's, hey, we need more money from you. We need to do the roofs. We need to get insurance. And when you tell people they need to pay more money that can't afford it, that generally causes the most problems. But also, you know... Next to family law type issues, I mean, these are property issues. You're dealing with your neighbors. You're dealing with something that you're always involved with. So you have a, a home next door that's co constantly cause, you know, having parties and you want to live peacefully and you just have noise coming from your you know, unit above or whatever. It just causes people to obviously be very upset more than other types of law and at these meetings, it generally boils over when, you know, people are yelling at each other. Um, and I hear worse horror stories sometimes when the attorney isn't there because, you know, then the property management companies or property managers or the board members are the ones that are trying to, you know, uh, uh, explain these situations and regulate issues. And it just, it causes people to, uh, to be a little uh, erratic. You have to say the least. Mm-hmm. But then you also have HOA, actual homeowners associations. And, and if we're talking a little bit about one story where you had an NFL uh, player's House of Horrors. The House of Horrors case, yes. It was uh, five, six years ago. An ex-NFL, pretty good player, actually. One of my childhood heroes, I like to say. Um, and... He lived in a community. It was a very, very nice community. And actually, he didn't live there, but he owned a house there. And he didn't maintain his house. So the residents in the community used to call it the House of Horrors. And obviously, if you live in an HOA, you expect the HOA to make sure that all the properties are kept up to a certain condition. You know, you buy into an HOA for multiple reasons. And one of those reasons is you want to keep property values high. You don't want the house next to you to be painted pink and you don't want the yard to um, be overgrown with weeds and, and the windows to be punched out and whatnot that lowers your property value. So this house was the house of horrors. And we sent the letter and said, you know, Mr. So-and-so, I'm not going to reveal his name. Um, you know, these are your about 10, 15 violations. You need to correct these because your governing documents require you to maintain your property to a certain standard. And sure enough, he, uh, he actually picked up the phone and gave me a call and in some not very nice terms told me I can't force him to do anything and he owns that property and he can do whatever he wants with it. 
So the association said, do what you need to do to bring him into compliance. So we filed the necessary lawsuit. And it basically was a lawsuit saying, mow your yard, you know, mow your yard and fix your windows. And, you know, the roof is literally falling off, you know, at some point, your pool is green. You got to just take basic care of your property. And he hired an attorney. I think he hired multiple attorneys. And wouldn't it be cheaper just to get it fixed? Well, <laughs> at the end of the story, yes. Um, it was a three-day trial where we had to present, you know, evidence from this is every single other house in the community. We're not selectively enforcing this property. Um, we had to bring in a lot of evidence. He threw everything he can at me. At every single stage, he would, hey, hey, Mr. Eisinger, uh, I think I'm up 14 to 7 right now. And he used every, you know, football analogy in the world. And, um, you know, he tried to use, I believe, his, uh, his political weight of being a football player in court, the amount of times he kept mentioning he's, you know, is a football player. And $110,000 of legal fees later, the judge awarded the association the win gave an injunction that said he had to comply with, you know, about 10 different things to his property within a certain amount of time. And he had to pay all of the association's legal fees, $110,000. And uh, sure enough, he came to the off in my office a few weeks later, handed me the check, shook my hand and said, good game. Uh, you know, a game to him, but it was also a, you know, good uh, experience. And I tell my clients this story and I tell unit owners, the story of people that don't think the association has any power to make sure that you're complying with their governing documents because they do. They, they do. They do. Oh, that's, that's crazy. And you've had some other crazy stories too, haven't you? <laughs> I was looking here and we've got one about a deposition. Uh, with the city inspector of a flooring issue? This was one of my more bizarre cases and depositions. Um, I, I represented an association, you know, a fluent association on the beach, and the dispute involved a floor. You know, one unit owner below said, hey, I hear everything coming from the unit above. The flooring must not be per code. And we went back to the association records and the individual submitted the plans. They submitted the approval from the city. So we said, hey, they, they have all the permits. They have everything they're supposed to get. You know, the flooring is approved. I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. Well, like most cases, the association was sued in addition to the unit owner with the subject flooring. And I said, you know what? This is going to be simple. We're just going to interview the inspector who went in and gave issued the permit and inspected the flooring. And sure enough, that inspector will be able to, you know, corroborate that the flooring was done properly. So I asked a very simple question to start, you know, the deposition. And I said, you know, Mr. City Inspector, can you tell me your qualifications of inspecting flooring? I have none. <laughs> so, you know, much to my shock, obviously, I said, well, can you elaborate? Were you the individual that came out to inspect this flooring? He said, yes. And I said, well, once again, then what were you inspecting? 
He says, I'm not really sure. I usually go out to just make sure that the flooring is put in. And to me, that blew my mind because I wasn't, I guess, I'm having the, the correct understanding of what building inspectors do uh, and why permits are necessary. But he essentially testified that he had no experience in inspecting flooring. He didn't inspect to make sure the flooring was installed properly. He just made was inspecting to make sure that the flooring was put in. And that was basically it. It blew my mind. Um, sure enough, the flooring, you know, failed the, the sound inspection test. And so in my opinion, I guess people were just paying these, this, this, this particular city a permit um, for absolutely no reason because they never inspect to make sure that the uh, flooring is actually to code or, or to a specific standard. They just collect the permitting and make sure that some flooring is installed. So that was one of my more bizarre uh, deposition in cases. And honestly, you know, going back to Surfside, it's it's a sad tragedy, but I hope it was a, a you know, wake up call to cities to actually train inspectors to go and know what they're looking for when they're looking at concrete or, or serious issues to make sure that the buildings are, in fact, doing what they need to do to uh, have sound structures and, and whatnot. And, you know, I think the final thing I want to talk to you about is fake emotional support animals in buildings. Because, you know, I've been on planes and you're like, I know that's not an emotional support animal. I can tell that was ordered from Amazon. It was like, <laughs> what are, you know, how often, how big of a problem is this and how often are you seeing it and what are you doing about it? Well, I got to clarify the, the term fake because the way the law works is if you have a disability as defined by the fair or the fair housing act, essentially it could be anxiety or depression. Then you can go to a doctor and say, doctor, I have anxiety. I have depression. I have a pet and it helps me cope with these, you know, my issues. Well, that doctor can certainly then prescribe you to have an emotional service animal. And that's different than a service animal, which you may be thinking of, which is an animal that's, that's there to provide a specific service. You know, the best example being a seeing eye dog, you know, the person's blind, you know, the dog is trained to help him see, so it's pretty easy to tell that, that that person needs that animal. But when it comes to an emotional support animal and a, a disability that's, you know, there's no real way to say, hey, does that person really have anxiety or depression? And then really in today's day, who doesn't have anxiety or depression? So the real issue is not, are they fake? It's if you're living in a community that's a no pet community and it's just that easy by the law to go out to any doctor, you know, you can go to a darn podiatrist if you wanted to. And he can write you a emotional support animal letter. And the law basically says if that letter contains, you know, the, the three qualifications that you suffer from the disability and the animal is going to help you cope with that disability you know, then you have no choice as an association or housing provider, but to allow that pet into the building. 
So I don't call them fake letters necessarily. I call them sometimes just a ridiculous policy that the association can't get around. And I have communities that have 30 units and it's a no pet building and 20 of the units have emotional support animals. And the other 10 people are furious because they want to move into a pet building, a no pet building. And because of this law and because of how easy it is to obtain emotional support animals. And if you deny the emotional support animal and they went out and properly got the documentation, then you're going to get a, a fair housing complaint and you're going to get a big penalty and it's not worth it to deny these. Um, so it is causing a major, major problem in this industry and in other industries as well. I believe the airline industry just recently uh, passed some type of law, which makes it harder to, to bring in emotional support animals into airlines. Yeah, like snakes. Like snakes. You know, look, I've, I have uh, uh, communities that have, you know, have, have had to let in chickens and yeah, snakes and all these types of animals as emotional support animals. And, you know, do I think a lot of these people are abusing the system? Sure. But then again, who doesn't have anxiety or depression? And, you know, who doesn't get an animal for those reasons? I certainly am not, you know, I didn't get my pets to look at me and, you know, kind of judge me all day. I got them to make me feel better. And when I come home from a stressful day, I look at my pet and it does take away some of my, you know, stresses in life. So I understand the need for pets. But in my opinion, the government needs to do a better job regulating this industry and, you know, has to come up with a, a more reasonable solution than, hey, anyone that has some anxiety or depression can just, you know, get this reasonable accommodation to the no pet policy and bring in whatever pets they want. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, you know, I have, I have two things to expound on there. A... I didn't know your pets aren't supposed to judge you because I have three cats that definitely judge me and don't provide any emotional support. And B, I've, you know, I've seen some of these, you know, okay, cute, cuddly, calm dog. Yes, that's emotional support. When, but like I see people like those rabid, you know, animals or like emotional support orangutan that's crazy. I'm like, that rips people's faces off. I'm like, come on. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, the, it is a crazy gray area. And I appreciate, you know, your understanding of it. It's just, it's, it's such an interesting thing, um, man. So, so one thing to add on that, though, if you have a dog, you know, an emotional support animal, that is an animal that's causing a nuisance in the community. It's barking all day. It's attacking people or not on the leash or not, um, you know, complying with reasonable pet policies then you could have that animal removed. It doesn't matter if it's an emotional support animal, the competing interest. And I have successfully removed, removed a few emotional support animals, you know, via action with uh, courts or the DBPR, the Department of Business and Professional Regulation. I have gotten those animals removed, even though they have the emotional support animal letters. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Because yeah, that's, if there are nuisance, yeah, that's, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Especially, and so I'm sure if someone enters into a, a no pet building, especially if they have allergies and stuff, that's that's a conflict of interest, isn't it? That was one of the reasons I had one of the pets removed. It was the person below had severe allergies, and, and the person above got the emotional support dog. And as soon as that dog moved in, you know, because they all share similar airflow, that the person's allergies just kicked in severely, and we were able to remove that dog 
yeah, it's, it makes sense. It makes sense. But this is, I mean, this is crazy. This is fun. Uh, definitely want to have you back with more of these stories sometime. But if someone needs help with their HOA, with their condo community, with their association, what's the best way to get in touch with you all? You can visit our website at EisingerLaw.com. It has our phone number. It's 954-894-8000. Or you can email me directly at gisinger at eisingerlaw.com. And we service uh, basically the entire state. We have an office in Hollywood, Florida as our main office. Um, we have a satellite office in Gainesville where we uh, serve many communities up in the Alachua County area. But we have associations all throughout the state and the advancement of Zoom and, and whatnot has really helped us expand so we can really serve any community uh, in Florida anywhere. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on True Laws, Law Stories, Greg. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you having us. And thank you all for uh, taking these stories on the road with you. This has been Ian Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to VideoCaseStory.com to learn more.